Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Lord, thank you that we get to be part of miracles. And Lord, even thank you for when we get to walk through hard times with people. Lord, we know when we hear these stories, Lord, our hearts jump. Yet at the same time, we know that there are people in this room that are struggling with other things. Whether it be a loss of a loved one, as we've been praying for the Cooper family. Or marriages that are struggling. Or the prodigal who just doesn't seem to come home yet. It's in these moments, you remind us of your faithfulness, of your goodness. You're not done. You're not done. You're not done. And so, Lord, we take the testimony of Reagan, and we hold on to that, and we say, you're not done. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's do a little emotional test. Every Sunday morning is an emotional test with me, right? <laughs> right? Isn't that true? Right? Let's do an emotional test. What stirs in you when you see someone who's homeless? What stirs in you? What's the emotional response when you know someone who has a disability? What stirs in you when you know someone is battling with cancer or, or literally going through a, fr- a financial crisis? Or what about when you are on a Saturday and you're watching March Madness and you see that commercial of someone in the Ukraine who is struggling just to be fed or that child who needs to be sponsored overseas? What's, what's the emotional pull you have? So let me ask you the bigger question. When you've seen these different situations, what do you do about it? How do you step in and help the person who's homeless? What do you do for that person who has a disability that's different than you and and acts a whole lot different than you and and you're uncomfortable with it? Do you step in and help or do you just kind kind of feel that emotion instead? Or what about that child who needs to be sponsored? You see, oftentimes when we think about compassion, the word compassion, we think about something that alludes to sympathy, to console with, to have like a longing to see something change in their life. Something profoundly powerful is rushing through your body, but yet the big thing is how does it translate into the present and moving forward? You see, one of the problems with the English dictionary is this, and we've been studying this throughout Scripture. The way we define words and the ways ways Jesus defined words are very, very different. Because oftentimes when we think about compassion, it's an emotion. But we've been studying Christ our King. We've been studying Christ our King. And what we're going to look at today is the compassion of Jesus. Not just the emotion of Jesus, but more importantly, how compassion manifests. Because there's a big difference between having sympathy for and compassion with another. 
We're going to look at a passage today that's going to talk about one of the character qualities of our King Jesus. Amen? The compassion of Christ. And here's what I am most proud of of our church is that compassion in our church has not just been an emotion that stirs up in us, but actually something that has come to fruition. So I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 9, 27 through 31. And if you don't have your Bible nor want to turn to it, it'll be on the screen behind me. It says this in Matthew chapter 9, 27, 31. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you what? See. Yes, Lord, they told him. We do. Then he touched their eyes and said, Because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were open and they could see. And Jesus sternly warned them, don't tell anyone about this. But instead, what did they do? They went out and spread his fame. I love that. They went out and they did what? They spread his fame all over the region. So let's talk about the two blind men. I think before we talk about the two blind men, we have to talk about what happened last week. Jeremy had talked about healing. Isn't it amazing God's perfect timing? Do I get an amen for that? Last week, Jeremy was charging with believe in the power of God. Believe that Jesus has the authority and the power over sin and death and sickness and anything that we go through in this world. Right? And then we see a miracle in our church. And so for these two guys, these two blind men, they had heard about that miracle, about a young girl on her deathbed, Jairus' daughter. And they had heard about, like, wow, Jesus brought back a young girl from the dead. He must be able to do something for us as well. Now, we have senses, We can hear, we can taste, we can smell, we can see. But I would say the worst sense to ever lose, and we know during COVID a lot of people lost their sense of taste and smell, right? It was like the end of the world for some people. You can't taste New Jersey pizza, right? That's a really bad day in New Jersey. But seriously, imagine losing your sight. We don't know if these two individuals had lost their sight or if they were blind from birth. We know in John chapter 9 that that young man was blind from birth. But these two men were blind. We don't know what happened, but they could not see. Now, if you know anyone who struggles with visual impairments, it's extremely difficult. Bumping into things. Making sure that they know where they're at. Making sure that there's a step there. Making sure that where the curb is making sure that their hearing is better than their vision so that they can be able to hear and not bump into things. Every step takes effort. Every step takes effort. Every moment they wake up, every moment they have to choose to get up from their seat and go do something next, everything has an emotional response. But these two men were determined, destined to get in the presence of Jesus. 
And they not only followed Jesus, but when Jesus went into someone's house, where did they go? They went in the house with him. They weren't invited, they barged in. Because they knew that the most important thing was for Jesus to recognize them and bring a transformation to their impairments. Imagine being blind. Go home today. Take five minutes and walk around your house with your eyes closed. Seriously, take five minutes. Take five minutes. Walk around your house with your eyes closed. That's how these individuals lived every single day of their life. But these two men had a hope. They said, Jesus, son of David. Now, we're going to get to the son of David part in a second. But they said, they said this, have mercy on us. Have sympathy on us. Have pity on our circumstance. Now, before we get to the son of David, there's something that these two individuals truly, truly were holding on to. You see, when the Messiah was going to come, the Messiah was going to do some supernatural acts that had never been seen before. When you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament, there were some crazy, wild miracles. But there's not one account of someone being blind and being able to see. But there was hope. There was hope. They actually believed the scriptures. Where the scripture said this in Isaiah 29, in that day the deaf will hear words read from a book and the blind will see through the gloom and darkness. Isaiah 35, and when he comes he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will, will leap like a deer and those who cannot see will sing with joy. There was a real anticipation that he, Jesus, was the Messiah. And they had heard of the miracles. And they were trying to find out if they were myth or if they were true. And then they find out about this, this little child being raised back to life. And they're thinking, it must be him. It must be him. And if it is him, because we are Jewish and we know our Torah, we know what he can do next. And so they used a very powerful title. They said, Son of David. Now, why did they say that? They wanted to get his attention. He was called Son of God. He was called Lord. He even called himself Son of Man. But there was another title. You remember Christ our King? That's, this is the whole point of the sermon series. Christ our King. Who was the greatest, most powerful, most loyal king in all of Israel? David. And God had said that your lineage, your legacy, will live on forever. And when you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it points right to Matthew's purpose for writing this book. To show that Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus came from the lineage of David. Look what it says. It says in Amos, it says, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. In the beginning, I will rise up the tabernacle of David. You see, what is he saying? 
David, what David had started, Jesus was going to fulfill. And he was the fulfillment of the perfect king. Not a temporary king, but an eternal king. David came to give the people of Israel a taste of the kingdom of God. But Jesus was going to come from his lineage, from his seed. And he was going to fulfill what God had started in David. And so they knew that they could get his attention by calling out, Son of David, have mercy on us. And if you know anything about David, this is what you know. David had mercy on those who were broken. Think about Saul's son. Saul's son had a disability. And David, when Saul passed away, he said, I will provide for your son who was unable to walk. They knew the stories of David. They knew how David had taken care of those who had disabilities. And they said, if you are the son of David, you will take care of us. That's the God we serve. I love what it says. It says, because of your faith, it will happen. I think oftentimes we really have lost the joy of stepping out in faith. Because of your faith, it will happen. I do believe in Scripture that we see people that had no faith in Jesus healed. I see, I see in Scripture that other people were praying for people and they didn't even know it and things happened. And I've seen both kind of miracles where people had no faith and God showed up, and people weren't even praying for a miracle and God showed up, but there are also times when our faith, God rewards. Can I get an amen? amen? And I know we don't like to talk about that because it scares us. Do I get an amen for that? Amen. Because when we say amen, you know what we're actually saying? Yes. And so faith is a scary thing. It's terrifying. If you have a child with a disability, every day you wake up in faith, just hoping God will show up. And yet God's even bigger than your faith. But I will say this. I saw, I saw Reagan on Wednesday night. And I said, I truly believe because of you stepping out in faith, this healing happened. You can say amen to that, right? I'm telling you something, plant family. There's something shifting in our church. Jerry Crean came to pray one, one Wednesday night with us. And why did you come to pray? Because of what? The whole marijuana dispensary, right? He says, I came in here to shut it down, right? Do I get an amen for that? Anyone who smokes pot says, uh-uh, right? <laughs> We're saying, uh-huh, right? And it got pushed off. We can laugh. We're allowed to laugh in church, right? And it got pushed off. Do I think that was by chance? No. Jerry, I believe that's your faithfulness. Amen? Right? I believe that. But for Reagan, this was not her first rodeo with her lungs. It was her second rodeo. She knows what's going to happen. She knows the pain and the suffering and all the recovery that goes with it. And yet, even in disparity, she stepped out in faith. 
And Reagan, I will say this. It's because of your faith this time, this time, Jesus healed you. So look at what Jesus says. Jesus is so funny. He says, don't tell anyone about this. Don't tell anyone. But instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. Seriously, two blind guys. It's like a joke. Two blind guys go in a house. They come out and they can see, right? (laughs) What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like, seriously, right? They go in the house. They're healed. They weren't going to fake it. Everybody who knew them was going to be like, dude, you're healed. I don't know. Well, don't tell anyone. Seriously, you see. You see? He sees. He sees. It just spread like wildfire. And yet they were so excited that they had to tell everybody. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? And so they told everybody. But why didn't he want them to spread the news? Because people were misinterpreting his reasonings. They wanted him to overthrow Rome. They wanted him to conquer Israel back for the people of Israel so they could reestablish their civil rights. Did he just say that? Yes, I did. Because just like now, we establish, we establish powers so that we can function in what we define as our safety. Because the Pharisees weren't living after God, a lot of them. Some were, some weren't. Some were, some weren't. But they wanted to reestablish this earth for how they really wanted it to happen. And Jesus said, that's not why I've come. That's not why I've come. I've not come to just reestablish a whole new way of living within your Jewish community. I've come to establish the kingdom of God. Let's jump to the next miracle. When they left, a demon-possessed man who, who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demons, and then the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. But the Pharisee said, he cast out demons because he's empowered by who? The prince of demons. And so now we have a second miracle. It's like boom, boom. And remember, this is, there's a reason Matthew is telling these stories in this chronological order. There's a second healing with an accusation. Someone who was being possessed, demonized by an evil spirit, was unable to speak. His tongue was tied. He couldn't get anything out. And Jesus just spoke to the demonic, and it fled. So you have two miracles. Jesus overpowering the physical, the blind, and able to have sight. But then this is what's interesting. Jesus does another miracle where he, where he casts out the demon, and the person's able to speak. So there was both a spiritual healing and a what? Physical healing. Now... As a minister, I will be very honest with you. I have done deliverances. I've done exorcisms. Believe it or not, everyone on our staff is skilled and trained and equipped to deal with the demonic. We actually have people from upstate New York who have come down to Bergen County, New Jersey to deal with their demonic issues. The demonic is real. Now, is it something that we talk a lot about? 
not all the time, but when it pops up, we don't say, hey, we got a ministry of casting out demons. That would be a little weird, wouldn't it? But if you've gone through everything, you've gone through the doctors, you've gone to counselors, you've gone to therapists, you've done everything in your power, and there's still that one thing that's holding you back, maybe it is demonic. And that's when we as pastors come in and say, let's take you through a process. And I will say this. I have seen when a demonic spirit has been cast out that a physical healing had taken place. Very powerful moments. Life-changing. Defining. That's what Jesus did. Because Jesus came to heal the whole person. He came to heal the whole person. Not just the physical or emotional. Not just the spiritual. Not just the psychological. Jesus wants to heal the whole person. Amen? And so he heals them. And all of a sudden, there's an accusation. He's casting out demons by the prince of demons. And we're going to talk about that next week. But there was this fear that the Messiah they wanted was not the Jesus they knew. The Messiah they expected was not the Jesus that arrived on the spots. And so Jesus saw through the accusations. Jesus saw through their intentions, and it both saddened and angered him. And we're going to talk about that next week. It saddened and it angered him. And he knew the motives of their hearts. And what we're going to look at right now is the motive of his hearts. Because all of our motives are skewed at times. Your motives, my motives, all of our motives are skewed at times. We allow circumstance, we allow environment, we allow upbringing, we allow past hurts to oftentimes mess with our, our emotions and determine how we react rather than we respond. And Jesus knew that. Verse 35 through 38. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that era, area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. What kind of disease and illness did he heal? Every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. Okay, Jesus is doing this crazy wild stuff that I can totally attach to, but then we're telling, being told by the Pharisees that he's demonic and there's something wrong with him and that we need to stay away from him and that he's going to blind us and he's going to mess with us and it's only going to pull us further and further and further away from God. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more helper workers into the fields. I think the key is it says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, here's the problem is oftentimes when we think about compassion, we think we're being compassionate when we when we 
feel someone's pain. We feel someone's suffering. We have, we have empathy in that moment. But you see, biblical compassion is, is so much different, so much different than how we look at compassion. I mean, you could have someone, you could have a friend who's been going through a hard time, and you could say, hey, I've been thinking about you, I've been praying for you, and like, but you haven't called me. But you haven't shown up. No, but seriously, you were in my hearts and my prayers. Really? That's helped. Because in that moment, you may be thinking you've been having compassion, but true compassion may cause you to pray. That's part one. But what about the other side of the coin? Look what the Bible says. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. 1 John 3.18, this was the verse that really changed my young spiritual faith in college. Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our what? Actions. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Judge fairly and show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. And do not scheme against each other. The dictionary defines compassion as sympathetic, pity, and concern for the suffering or misfortunes of others. It's giving us a definition of what it is and, and what we're supposed to feel. But it doesn't tell us how it's supposed to manifest. What the Bible tells us is that when we have this, these, these feelings, these emotions, this, this driving presence, it causes action. The component of action is what separates compassion from empathy. The component of action is what separates sympathy from compassion and pity from, to compassion and concern from compassion. Those are all feelings, but compassion is the action of stepping in and doing something about someone else's circumstance. This deep feeling of someone else's circumstances causes you to do something. Compassion is not what we feel about others in need. Compassion is what motivates our response to do something. So where did Jesus learn this? Be careful little eyes what you see. Remember that? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Because children mimic their parents. And daddies, children mimic their abbas, their fathers. You see, Jesus has a father that says, I see a world who's broken. And it started in the garden. Adam and Eve were dumb. They made a really foolish mistake. And, Adam, and God did not sit in heaven and say, see, I told you so. He went down and he went into the garden. And even though he was angry with them, he had compassion on them. He clothed them in their nakedness. When he saw that the Israelites were hungry, he fed them. 
He provided water for them. When they were surrounded by their enemies, he separated the seas. And when he saw that the world was really, 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 really going to hell, he sent his son to mirror the father's heart. And Jesus was the ultimate manifestation and display of God. I mean, think about what Jesus said to the Pharisees. It's the sick who need a doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor. Come hang out with me. Let me teach you how to be a real physician. Not sitting in the classroom, the synagogue. Let's go practice what God has called us to be. Let's go be with the sick who need healing. There's only a few times in Scripture where Jesus, I mean, we see Jesus prays all the time, and he invited people to pray, pray with him. But there are several times when Jesus says, pray like this. We see it in Matthew chapter 5. We see it in John chapter 17. And now we see it again in Matthew chapter 9. He says this, hey, disciples, you want to see God move? This is how you pray. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. He says, I want you to pray a prayer that's going to change your life and change the life of others. You see, what he was saying is he was going to say, I want you to pray a prayer that you're willing to respond to. I want you to pray a prayer that you're willing to respond to because you are my workers and you see the harvest. Because when Jesus looked around for so long, the disciples were just kind of following him from right next to him and seeing what he was doing. And there were times when he sent them out, but he said, guys, come on, pray a prayer of action. Pray a prayer that's going to change your life, that's going to change someone else's life, so they get in the game as well. You are the workers. That is the harvest. If you've ever experienced the compassion of Jesus, if you've ever experienced the compassion of Jesus, you've got to give your, the compassion to someone else. Otherwise, I don't think you get it. If you've ever been in a situation where you were in need and someone showed up, they were responding to a prayer that you had. How are you responding when you see other people in need? When was the last time you said, I'm going to pray for you, but never ever reacted and responded to that prayer? Or have you forgotten about it? Jesus was calling his disciples into action. Pray a prayer of motivation. Not just for others, but it has to begin with you. That's the one thing I love about the plant. You respond. You respond. You know what the best part of Reagan's story is? The healing. Would we all agree? 
Okay, let me tell you the better part. Kathy went to the doctor with her. Kathy believed that God was going to do a healing, but she was prepared for whatever was next. Kathy took with her a pad and paper to sit down and write with the doctor everything the doctor was going to say if there wasn't a healing. And Kathy was going to walk through the whole process with Reagan. Talk about God's divine timing for sermons. Last week, healing. This week, compassion. Compassion, yes, was manifested in us praying for her. But the real point of compassion was Kathy sitting with her. I'm going through the whole process with you. Healing or hell, I'm with you. That's compassion. And because of that, Kathy got to celebrate in the joy of the miracle. Plant family, we have a God of compassion. Christ our King He saw those who were oppressed, and he brought deliverance. He saw those who were sick, and he brought healing. He saw those who were isolated, and he brought community. Our king does not stand aside. Our king does not stand aside. Our king steps in. Our king steps in. He felt others' pain, and he responded. If you've ever been the recipient of someone else stepping into your pain, into your brokenness, you have been the recipient of the compassion of Christ. Right now, our church is really praying about really working with families with disabilities, And you need to be very, very trained in order to do that. After Night to Shine, it was kind of like a a Kairos moment. We need to do something. Pray for us. There are many families in this area who cannot come to church because their children and young adults have disabilities. Are we supposed to be that church? What are we going to do about it? Second, Jesus had charged his disciples to pray a prayer of action. We must be willing to pray that prayer, and we must be willing to respond as well. Plant family, you are the answer to this prayer. You are the answer to the need of this great harvest. You are the answer. Not the politicians, not the teachers in the school, not your local government, not your, not your kids' sports programs. You are the answer to Jesus' prayer because you possess the hope of the world. And that hope is Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you have the Spirit of God, as Jesus had the Spirit of God. And what Jesus did, you know what you're going to do? You're going to do the same things as well. But if you never step out in compassion, you'll never know what Jesus wants to do through you. 
Why does God rescue the addict? So that the spirit of God can live in them and they can help rescue other addicts. Why does God heal the broken? Because those who have been broken, God gives them the Holy Spirit to go help the broken. And you can fill in whatever your thing is. And God wants to give you his presence so you can be the answer to the prayer of heaven. You are the workers. I'm going to invite the band to come forward. I really feel this. It's time. If anyone would ever say, like, what's God speaking to you? Like, you're our pastor. What do you hear God saying? For a while, he's been saying, be ready, be prepared. Be ready, be prepared. Be ready, be prepared. You know what I hear him saying today? It's time. It's time. It's time. So we can celebrate every time God does a miracle in someone's life. Yep, God did it. Can we say that together? Yep, God did it. Yep, God did it. That's our new slang. That's our new slang when a miracle happens. Yep, God did it. We should be celebrating every single Sunday. An emotional, a spiritual, a relational, a financial, and even a physical healing. We should be able to say every single Sunday in our church community, yep, God did it. Because you saw the need and you stepped in. Amen? I'm going to do something really bold, and I'm okay with it, because I'll be the first one to do it. I'm in. I'm in. I want to be the answer to the prayer. I want to be the answer to the prayer. Who wants to be the answer to the prayer? And you're in. Mimi's in. Yep. Andrea's in. Who's in? Yep. Walt, you're in. Come on. Declare it. You in? You, you, let's do this. Let, let's go old school. If you're in, let's do an altar call. Come forward so I can pray over you. The whole church comes forward. Great. If you don't come forward, you're going to be like, I'm never coming back. That's okay. That's okay. If you're in, come forward. Come forward. And I'm not going to stand on the stage because I'm bigger and better than you. I'm going to stand with you. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.